0: That is very good. Welcome to anyone that might be visiting. Many of you might have come through for this dedication. I want you to know that my wife and I are praying that our baby has the Clara Barber anointing of being so chilled. Our baby's still in the womb, so stretch out your hand and pray for the Barber Clara anointing. I'm gonna be like on YouTube, a false prophet stuff's gonna start circling now. Um, But legit, we are praying that. Uh, that's a good prayer, 25 Jan roundabout, um, and I just love Nico and Diesel's faith in this journey. I have also been a part of it, and uh, it's a phenomenal story, because it wasn't all easy, but to God be the glory. Um, we stand here on the back of prayers, and we just thank God for what He's done. It's was been a beautiful moment this morning, and we're going to carry on with our series and acts. We've actually got the last mini-series. We've been doing the book of Acts this year, we've been breaking it up into mini-series. I'm going to help us finish off this, or start the end of this race in Acts. And we're going to be taking a look at a new sermon series. But firstly, to go back, what we have seen. What we have seen is Acts 1-8, the anchor verse of the whole of Acts. God says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And what we've been looking at a lot this year is we are God's witnesses. We are His representatives. We are His ambassadors that He has placed for us to draw attention to Him, to witness about Him, that He's alive and that we believe in Him. We've even said this year our prophetic lean is this, that God has given you very specific and unique places. He's put you in those places, spaces, and given you unique relationships in order for you to cultivate those for his glory because you are a hope bringer wherever God has placed you. You're not there by random choice. It was God's deliberate hand. And we are his witnesses there. We are to cultivate. And so we've been taking a look at that. And now as we turn to the back end of Acts, we've seen in unknown heroes, God wants to use each and every one of us. It's not for especially gifted people. It's just for people that God created. We all play our part Now, as we turn our attention from the unknown heroes to a very known hero, his name is the Apostle Paul. And uh, as we're going to take a look at, he was obedient to the call to be God's witness to the end of the earth. And not only despite the fact that he was obedient, but even because he was obedient, he actually faced much trials, tribulations, and tears, much suffering. So it's my joy to announce to you the cheerful topic of this sermon series coming up is shipwrecks leading while bleeding. So for those of you who are visiting, you're like, oh, nice, nice one. (laughs) Moy." let's pick that one to welcome someone in. But what we're gonna find is that it's necessary for all of us who inevitably will face trials, tribulations, and tears, that we face it with the right heart, right frame of mind and the right heart set, if that's even an English word, with the right heart set, as we enter through that. And now, I don't want anyone to consider themselves disqualified from the conversation because you read the word leading and you think I'm not at the top of any hierarchical structure, I'm not a leader. God has placed you in unique places, spaces, and relationships to have influence for him. You have influence and God has given it to you. Don't second guess it. It's not complementary to the influence God has given you. He's given you influence to steward and when Things get tough. God is calling us first and foremost to lead ourselves before we can lead anyone. So, actually, everyone's in this conversation of this series. We're all going to face tribulations. We need to lead ourselves, and all of us have a sphere of influence, and we need to know how to lead even when we bleed. And so, we're going to be taking a look at that. It's going to be bless you, it's going to be very practical. Uh, but it's also this specific sermon is going to be more aimed at us checking our hearts. So you might hear me say a bunch of times today, let's check our hearts on this. Uh, because we need to have the right heart set, which I've a word I've invented recently uh, for the sermon series. And so we're going to be turning to Acts chapter 20. You can read along in the Sky Bible behind me. But verses 18 to 25, what we find is Paul gets the sense he must go to Jerusalem in obedience to what God said. But he knows he will be in prison. He knows that in the course of his life that he will be tried many times and might never see the people that he loves again in Ephesus, a place where he lived for three years in modern-day Turkey. And so on his way to Jerusalem, he detours to Ephesus. And he says, I must meet with these guys because they might not see my face again while I live. And so I want you to feel the weight of the emotion of this passage Because we're reading the last will and testament of the great apostle to the Gentiles. And as he's saying this, this isn't some grand speech on a stage. This is him standing next to people that he loved. And there's tears in his eyes. And he speaks to them knowing that they will not see him again. And this is the most important words that he could possibly say to them. And so let's read behind me. Acts 20 from verse 18. Paul says this. Brothers. You yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time that I was, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with humility, with tears, and with trials, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. But you know how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards our Lord and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account of my life of any value nor as precious to myself If only I may finish the course of the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among who I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will ever see my face again. Let us pray. Father, it is my prayer that you speak right now. It's my prayer that it's not me that speaks at all but that you would speak through me. Lord, that everything that's not of you, that you would discard that. But Lord, our hearts cannot be the same when we walk out of this gathering. And so we we ask you, make our hearts into good soil. We wanna be good soil for you, Lord. And we want your spirit to speak to us. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Right, so three headings that come out of this passage. Firstly, the cost. We gotta count the cost. Secondly, the crown, that's the prize that we get And thirdly, the cross, that makes it possible. The cost, the crown, the cross. So let's start up at the top with the first heading, the cost. We see how Paul says, brothers, you saw how I lived among you. You saw how I was getting persecuted because of preaching the name of Jesus. But you also saw that that didn't make me shrink back. In fact, I continued to preach. I didn't stop because of pressure. I kept proclaiming to you. And now that I think I'm gonna die, I'm not slowing down. I am going. I am constrained by the Spirit going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. But he says, but this I do know. This is what the Holy Spirit tells me, that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city I will face imprisonment and afflictions. Imagine if the Holy Spirit said, every city you go to, you're going to be a jailbird, and you're going to face afflictions. I guarantee that some of us would go, sweet, I'm not going to be found in any cities, man. I'm going to be in the Dorpies, I'm going to be in the bush, I'm going to be in the Karua, by the stars. But as for skyscrapers, I will be far from them. But Paul, he says this, he says, I am constrained By the Holy Spirit. God told me to go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna face chains. I'm gonna face afflictions, but I'm going because I am obedient to the call of Jesus. I wonder if we would say the same. I wonder if God said, I want you to go somewhere and your safety is not guaranteed. I wonder what we would say. Would we have the same attitude? Let's check our hearts on this. Who holds the cards with what you get to do with your life? Do you hold the cards or does God hold the cards? Because if you hold the cards, I would, the cards, I would say you're probably your own God. But if you believe Jesus is your God, he gets to decide. So there's the first challenge of 20 million of the message. And if we're going to be, you're allowed to laugh, I'm just saying. Um, that was a joke. Um, but if you are going to count the cost, there's going to be a few ingredients. The first one is this. If we're going to count the cost, we need to be, A servant of Jesus. We notice how Paul says in verse 19 how I was serving the Lord with all humility, tears, and trials. So Paul's attitude was this. Whatever God tells me, I'll do. Why? Because I am his servant. Even if it makes him severely unpopular, he's willing to go and do that. The application for me, I wonder if you can say the same. Are you living for the approval of people or are you living for the approval of of God, because Paul did everything for an audience of one, for Jesus himself, in fact he knew it would be unpopular with people, he said in Galatians 1.10, for am I seeking the approval of man, or of God, if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, so Paul says, I'm a servant, I'm not changing my message, I'm not changing my, the plans that God has given me, I'm pursuing whatever God gave me, even if it makes me severely unpopular, in Romans 1, he says, I am Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. He didn't say, I'm Paul. I'm the best preacher in the Western world. I am such a powerful healer that even my handkerchief heals people. I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm the be and end all. He says, this is my credentials. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. If you want to be a big hitter for Jesus and his kingdom, you've got to be a servant. Jesus said in Matthew 20, but whoever would be great must be your servant. In God's economy, leadership works this way, that if you want to lead in big ways, you need to let God take the lead and be his servant. It's the opposite. It's, it's upside down kingdom. It's the opposite of how many people think in this world. And for me, the application is this. If you are a servant of Jesus, you'll pray different prayers. If you're not a servant of Jesus, your, your relationship with Jesus might be that he gives you stuff. That's why we come with long shopping lists when we pray sometimes. God, bless me with this, bless me with that, help me with this, help me with that. But when last have we prayed the prayer of a servant who says, God, you can take my house, you can take my job, you can move me from A to Z. You can even place me where it's most uncomfortable, but I wanna serve you. I wanna challenge us today and check our heart. Are we servants of Jesus, because then we're going to pray differently. But as for Paul, he said, I'm your servant. Take me where you want to take me. And so that was his attitude. He serves the Lord with humility, tears, and with trials. In fact, his motto was the same thing that we sung. I wonder if we meant it. May I never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. That means that there's nothing else to brag about in my life. There's nothing else to glory in except the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the way that servants praise. That's the motto that we live by. And then he says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. If you're going to count the cost, number two is this, that you need to surrender your future to Jesus. Paul says, I don't know the deeds, of what's gonna happen in the future. And the question of reflection is, does that bother you, that God might not reveal to you and might not tell you what he has planned for your future? Because if we wanna have tight control and we wanna make sure that it's going according to plan, I suggest we are more God than God is in the future. But as for Paul, he said, I don't need to know the future. I know the God that holds the future in his hands. Paul was a guy who said, God told oceans where to start and where to end. So even if I were to be in a shipwreck, I'm in the God of the storms. The God that I serve is the God who is in control. And so the future is in his hands. How many of us are anxious about tomorrow? I would, I would venture many of us lose sleep over our future. We need to learn the rhythms of being a servant of Jesus where we surrender our future to Jesus and say, you know, and that's enough for me. I love you. You take control. There was lyrics by Skillet that I told the, the, AV ba- the AV guys to take out, but I like it, so I'm bringing it back. There's a rock band called Skillet, and they said, um, if you can hold the stars in place, you can hold my heart the same. Whenever I start to break and whenever I fall away, so here I am, I'm lifting up my heart to the one who holds the stars. Let that be the cry of our heart. He's in control of the future, and that's enough for me. The third thing is this if we're gonna count the cost of following Jesus, we might even have to embrace hardship for the name of Jesus. Now this, <laughs> this is not, I stubbed my toe, I, I I slept through my alarm, and now I'm late for work, and now I got a warning. You know, I'm just getting I'm just the cost of following Jesus. It's just the cost. Um, It's not like that. It's not like little accidents happen, but it's because I'm a Christ follower. And that's why, because I'm growing in holiness. It's not about that. It's about the fact that when we walk a life increasingly obedient to God, we might do things that are severely unpopular with the world in obedience to Him. This is when we won't stand for malpractice in our business and it leads to us not getting a promotion, not getting a raise, maybe even getting fired. This is when we won't stand for a lie, and we will tell the truth, and it blows up a friendship. This will be when we just simply have to stand up for the broken, even when it's unpopular with people. This is when we might lose friends over the way that we stand up for God, and we might be ridiculed. This is about when we follow God. It might not always be to our immediate benefit in this life. And God wants to know, are you okay with that? Because that's part of the deal, the cost of following Jesus. In fact, Paul said when he was in Syria in Acts 14, through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He positions it as a prerequisite. It has to happen first that we go through trials and tribulations before we enter into the kingdom of God. So God says, we don't know what the deeds are, but there's three T's on the menu, trials, tears, and tribulations. That's on the menu of people that wanna walk this journey and become more like Jesus. In fact, the more of this there is, probably the more special and extraordinary the calling is on your life. C.S. Lewis, brilliant writer, he said this in the Narnia series, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. If I may add lib and add on to C.S. Lewis, if you have extraordinary suffering, be assured, God has prepared you for extraordinary destiny. I'm thinking about my mom. I'm thinking about other people here that have rolled in on wheelchairs, other people with conditions that are not easy to see in the eye. If God has put you through a lot of suffering, be assured that he has a huge purpose for your life. Count it as something like a compressor. When God puts us under those kinds of pressures, when he puts those things in, it's not because he's trying to punish us because we've done something bad, bless you, but it is because we've been put into the compressor because God is refining our hearts, refining our characters. And You can't even achieve the great destiny that God has for you if you're not the right person inside. And so the compression is all about making and manufacturing the thing that's required for us to do that. It was a bit of a sidebar, but that's what C.S. Lewis said, and the question, of course, for us is, have we counted the cost of following Jesus? Now, I know that this um, passage, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I might get thrown in prison, all that stuff seems a bit far removed from us in our day-to-day life. Um, I want you to know that what it looks like to follow Jesus at cost to yourself might be a more subtle application than Paul who says, I'm going to go to prison, I'm going to die for Jesus. But it is nonetheless, God looks at the heart and man looks at the outside. The question is, are you obedient to the thing God has put in front of you? It might just be picking up a piece of litter and not hardening your heart and listening to the voice of God. Might be simple steps of obedience towards that. As for myself and my wife, this isn't a very theoretical passage for us, because God has put on my heart many years ago, James, you're going to leave South Africa, you're going to leave behind the comfort and the safety, now some of you are saying South Africa, comfort and safety, just wait, uh, if you were to know the place that I'm going, where people who preach the name of Jesus, their churches are burnt down, they are murdered, their kids are tortured, and God says, that's what I've got for you, you've got to go, and I've known that since I was young in Jesus, that I mustn't get comfortable because my life belongs to Him. He didn't give me new life to be selfish. He gave me new life to preach about Him where it's most dangerous. And I'm going to have to one day say I'm constrained by the Spirit of God to go there. And my wife is going to make the same call. In fact, God put that call on her life as well. And in fact, she got saved reading accounts of people who were martyred who died for Jesus and how they died with joy that is how she came to Jesus when she was not yet a Christian she read about people testifying that they 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 worship Jesus and getting murdered for it and she looked at their faith and said that's legit Jesus is real. And so her and I, we are on a path that's dangerous. One day we are going. We are constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will wait for us there, but this thing that we do know that we have to say yes to Jesus because he said yes to going up the road to Calvary. He bled for us. It sure as hell isn't gonna happen on my watch that I'm gonna gonna hold back my blood for the sake of Jesus if Jesus gave it all for me. And that's the cost of following Jesus, it might not be so radical for you, but maybe God just needs to prod you a bit, and make you a little bit more radical, shake us up a bit, and remind us, following Jesus ain't easy, but man, is it worth it, it's worth it, why, because of the crown, because of the reward at the other end, Paul says this, I'm going there, I'm constrained by the Spirit, I don't know what's going to happen to me, you know It's going to be imprisonment and afflictions, but here's the thing that he says, I do not account of my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I keep my eyes on the prize at all times. If the Springboks were to win a penalty and Andre Pollard were to land there and he gets his kicking tee ready, and then he looks at the opposition goal or the the stands, none of us would have any confidence that this kick is going to result in three points. We'd be like, this is a bit nowhere. He has to keep his eyes on the prize. Well, God is asking us if we're going to keep our eyes on the eternal prize that he has put before us. Because if we aim only for earthly things, we will reap earthly outcomes. But if we keep our eyes on eternity, we will reap eternal outcomes. We want to ask God, God, would you stamp my eyeballs with eternity? That when I look at Joburg, my life, my job, my wife, my kids, all that I see is the eternal perspective. I want to be an eternal guy. I want to keep my eyes on the prize. I want to be about the crown. I want to be about the upward call of Jesus. I want to live my life for eternity. Anything less than that is an absolute waste of time. But I'm going to live for eternity because that's what I'm about. So he says that. So the application is, what's on your list of goals right now? Is it just cute and is it just finite and is it just related to job and marriage and stuff like that? Or do we have an eternal mindset? Where does God and his eternal call on us and the call to the gospel rate on our list? Let's reorganize our goals. Let's get our mindset right on this one because Paul says, I don't account of my life as precious to myself. That isn't because he was suicidal. That was because of the fact that he wasn't clinging onto his life because he lived for eternity. This was a guy who just wanted to be with Jesus. He cared about the mission that God gave him. He wasn't about self-preservation. He was about gospel presentation. We need to be less about trying to preserve ourselves and more about, I need to put Jesus out there, no matter what the cost. I've got to be about that. So he savored Jesus more than his own life. He's probably even quoting Psalm 63, which says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. That's probably what he's thinking of in the same verse, that God is more precious to him than his own life. The heart check for us is this. I wonder, can we say the same? Is God more precious to you than your own life? Because that's how we overcome and inherit the kingdom of God. In Revelation 11, it says this of the people, that they overcame and conquered by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their own lives even unto death. They weren't about plotting and scheming their life and their goals and reaching everything on their list. They were about not loving their lives, loving Jesus with all of their life. That's how you overcome. If you aim for the pleasures of of earth for all your life, you get nothing at the end, because you just die, you don't take that past the grave. If you aim for heaven, you get all of heaven and all all of earth thrown in as well aim and keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the crown. Don't get distracted. Don't look down. Keep your eyes up. Look at Jesus. And that might actually take your life down in terms of suffering, but you won't feel like it because you're going to suffer with hope. Because even if we suffer for the gospel, second, oh no, wait, there's other stuff I'm supposed to say. (laughs) Matthew 10, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a no-brainer. If you put between those two choices, Jim Elliott's missionary, he says he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's be using simple logic like Jim Elliott right there because Paul says I don't account of my life of any value or was precious to myself. In fact, many people try to warn him Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, you're going to be in prison in Jerusalem. Paul, you're going to be whipped in Jerusalem. And Paul goes, And what's your point? You want to send me to heaven quicker. Man, that's what I've been aiming for my whole life since I was in Christ. I want to be with Jesus. You just want to make that happen quicker. That's like an early promotion for me. Be my guest. Every time I get thrown in prison, the prison doors fling open. Stuff happens. Jailers get saved. It doesn't matter if you throw me in prison, the gospel goes forward. doesn't matter if you whip me, the gospel goes forward. The worst you do to me, the more the gospel goes forward. And the worst you can do is send me to Jesus. What's the downside? So he says, keep quiet. I'm willing to die for Jesus. In fact, it would be my honor. And so he says that, and the heart check for us, of course, is can we say that? That we are willing to part with everything that we thought was precious in order to gain the prize of great price, the pearl of great price, being with Jesus. Let's live for the crown. But take heart, whatever you might sacrifice for Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew 19, no one has left anything for my sake in the Gospels who will not receive it back a hundredfold. So let's not chase earthly crowns. They're not gonna last. Let's chase eternal crowns. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who stands steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing comparative worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ. And as I keep reminding people, the word that is translated as rubbish is not rubbish in the Greek. The word is crap. I count all the stuff people aim for and spend their lives obsessing over all the earthly pleasures of this life. Just one big pile of crap in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. He kept his eyes on the prize. And even if he should suffer, 2 Corinthians says that we are afflicted, but we are, now. let's go find it. I'm all over the show with these notes, let me tell you. We are afflicted, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Why? Because of our hope in Jesus. And all of this is possible, the crown, because of the cross. The cross, and that's our third heading. In our Bible school, the Institute, we always teach the main point of the passage is always Jesus and the gospel. And so in this passage, you might be tempted to think this is about Paul and his trial. It's actually about Jesus, and what you see is that he is deliberately contrasting the, Paul, uh, the Pauline trial with Jesus' trial. The same writer who wrote the Gospel of Luke wrote Acts, and he's the, being very deliberate. Let me show you. The first thing is that in both of these there's a resolve for them to go to Jerusalem despite their danger. You can go look up the verse references for yourself. In the second instance, despite the danger, there are attempts that people make to try to dissuade Paul, dissuade Jesus from going to fulfill this mission. In Acts 21, they say, don't go, Paul. He says this, no, I am ready to not only be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When Peter said to Jesus, far be it from you, to go to the cross and die. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. We have this one, that they were both arrested in Jerusalem. We have Acts 21. We have Luke 22. It's all happening there. We also have a sworn statement of intent that was conspired to try and create a way for them to be murdered. Firstly, in Acts 23, these Okies formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. We have the chief priests and the scribes that were seeking a way, plotting and scheming how they could put Jesus to death. And so both ended up before Roman governors. In Acts 24, we've got Paul before Felix. In Acts 26, we've got Paul before Caesar Agrippa. And in Luke 23, we have Jesus before Pilate. Yet nonetheless, despite all of the trials and the farcical way they try to set them up, neither actually were found guilty. Caesar Agrippa says, this man's not going worthy of punishment or imprisonment or death. Pilate says, behold, nothing deserving death has been done to Jesus. I want you to consider the fact that that Luke is trying to spur you on in this passage to think about A greater trial than the trial of Paul, the trial of Jesus. That it's all that is the trial that actually changes your life. That is the one that's going to actually transfigure your heart. Because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. For the joy that was set before him, what was the joy? that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross. His joy was being with you. That at the end of paying the price of the shedding of his blood, that he could be with you. You wanna talk about the cost of following Jesus? That's nothing. What about the cost of Jesus as he went to Calvary? And he willingly paid that price. It wasn't the nails that held his hands in place. It was the fact that he loved you to the bottom and he loves you today and that he wanted to pay the full price so that you could be with him forever. That he could forgive you as far as the east is from the west. That's why his hands were stretched as they were. And he was willing to do that. He counted the cost, and he willingly did it for you. He did it for you. He got abandoned by his Father in heaven. He was beaten, mocked, he was scorned. He had his back ripped apart, all of that was in pursuit of you. If I was to adapt 2 Corinthians, he was afflicted in every way, and he was crushed. He was perplexed, and he was driven to despair. He was persecuted, and he was forsaken. He was struck down, and he was destroyed. This is the God of wounds and scars. Jesus is unique. I don't know if you're not a follower of Jesus here today and you're visiting, No one would invent a religion out of their head where God is weak, where God actually gets subject to violence, where he has wounds and he has scars. It's just really bad propaganda if you were to invent that religion. Really bad propaganda. In your head, you know that doesn't make sense. Either the claim is true or it's false, but it's definitely not a man made religion. But in your heart, I want to ask you do you have scars and do you have wounds? Because it's always better to speak to someone that actually understands what you're going through. And there's only one person who really understands what you're going through. Hebrews 4 says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus is the God of wounds and scars. If you've got wounds, the scars of Jesus can speak to your wounds. And he can understand you through to the bottom. And there's no other religion that can help you with that because there's no other religion which even portrays God as weak at all. Edward Shalito is this English poet. He did a, a, a study on world religions, on suffering being the topic, and he wrote this. The other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but you alone If you've got wounds, you've got pain, you need Jesus. He's the only one that can actually help you with that. And you'll find your deepest need is forgiveness, and Jesus has paid the full price for you. The reason we can put on the crown is because he put on a crown of thorns, that he went down so that we can receive his reward. We don't deserve it. His punishment, my peace. His punishment, my peace. That's the great exchange mercy spoke for me on Israel's hill, and mercy spoke for you. The question is, will you accept the invitation of Jesus today? Because his hands weren't pierced for nothing. They were to reach out and say, come to me. I've paid it all. Come to me. I love you. I've got a crown for you. He suffered for you. If you're a Christ follower today, I want to challenge you. That at the end of a passage like this, we can't just go back to things as they were and just be like whatever, lukewarm, carrying on with our life. As if Jesus was just a bless me vending machine or just there and he's just a part of our life. He's number 10 on the list. It can't be that at the end of a passage like that, that Paul's the only one bleeding. It's got to be that after passages like this, we get shaken up in our heart. And that we start to get passionate again about the fact that Jesus paid it all so I can live it all for him. We have this amazing challenge from Jesus. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The gospel's not light and fluffy. It's actually really, really powerful. If we're gonna say we follow Jesus, let's do it. Let's pick up our cross, and let's follow him. It should cost you your comfort. It should cost you some things to follow Jesus. But take heart. It's all motivated out of what Jesus has already done for us. What we do for Jesus is nothing in comparison to the, what he went through. He went through the chasm of hell for you. He stepped down. He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, though he was God himself for us just to pick up a cross and follow him. God is asking so little and he's done it all. But my question to us as Christ followers is will we do it? Will we actually do it? Will we pick up our cross and follow Jesus? Will we be like Paul and we say, you know what, if I bleed for Jesus, that's blood well spent. That's how I wanna spend my blood in my life. Because even if we were to bleed for the sake of the cause of the gospel, we are afflicted, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed because that already happened to Jesus. And so let us not count our life as precious to ourselves, but let us say, this is my motto in life. I want to finish the course of ministry that Jesus put on my plate. I wonder if that's the cry of your heart today. Have you counted the cost? If you've counted the cost, then you know so much bigger than the cost is the crown. And if you can have the crown, consider it's all possible because of the cross. The cost, the crown, and the cross. We're gonna have the band, they're gonna join me on stage and we're gonna get into a place where we can respond in our hearts to this. Now, God's gonna apply in your own heart how this applies. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd say today is your day. If you are a follower of Jesus, we need to put our lives again on the altar of sacrifice. Sacrifice. We need to say that we live for him and we live for him alone. And so the band's gonna join us behind here and what you're gonna do is you're gonna stay seated. I want us just to consider the words that are being sung over us. I want us to mull them over in our heads. Let our hearts be moved by what Jesus has done for us to the point that we say, I'm willing to be a living sacrifice for you. So we're gonna sing these lyrics All on the altar, surrender again. Freely, I lay down my everything. This is my honor and the gift that I bring. I will be a living sacrifice, all of my heart and soul to glorify. I offer nothing less than all of my life for Jesus Christ. I just wanna bless you, whatever it takes. Oh, with my mind, my body, my spirit, and my strength. If you're a fire, then set me ablaze. I wanna be a living sacrifice. They're gonna sing it over us, do some business with God, and then we're gonna get up and sing.